Wow, what a great day uh, we've, and, and a great program we've had here so far. Uh, uh, Nicholas Knut, thank you so much for putting together a, another great uh, program. It's a privilege to be here. And, and thank you to my panelists who have taken on the challenge of, of describing how we're going to get to uh, accommodating our sustainability policies in an industry which has not always been known to support sustainability. We've got Konstantin Bach from CEO, MPC Containers, Kristen Hold, Director at Safe Bulkers, Merce Tankers, Gaslog and Noble Corporation, Christos Sarkonis, Global Head of Shipping, DNB, John Licouris, CEO, Dorian, LPG, Mark O'Neill, President, CEO, Columbia Manage Ship Management. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about sustainability and shipping and how we create value. We've heard a lot so far today from ship owners from regulatory bodies, from ship managers to, to some extent, I thought it would be interesting to start with a quote from a charter from the cargo side of the business and talk about what they have described as the key pillars of sustainability for them. And then to hear about how you see sustainability, what does sustainability mean to you, and how do you uh, re react to the charter's strategy as they've outlined it. So, since we're in Norway, we picked Equinor. They've laid out three pillars of, of what is sustainability to them. Innovate to create low-carbon energy systems, accelerate investments in low-carbon solutions to decarbonize industry and society, secure access to affordable and reliable energy. That's how they've described sustainability, the must-haves for sustainability for them. Now, I gotta tell you, as seeing that from the shipping side, I, I kind of underlined affordable as, uh, as perhaps the key part of that, but maybe I'm, I'm too cynical. So the question for the panel, how do you see sustainability in your organization, and how do you make those trade-offs between the kinds of goals that they've described? Kristen, I'm gonna start with you. Is it on? Yeah, I, I hear think you. so. Yes. Thank you so much. And I think it's a, it's a very broad question because sustainability can be, can be defined very, very narrow, but it can also be, be, be defined very broadly. And if you talk, talk about a sustainable business model, you have to think about not just the near future, but also the years ahead. So it's not just about uh, the E in the ESG which we are talking a lot about here with, with reduction of emissions. It's also about the S, the sustainability and the social part, and also the G, the governance. So you need to invest in all the areas. You need to invest in your team, in your people, in your talents, uh, in a sustainable way. You need to, to uh, invest in all your stakeholders, like the capital, from the banks to the, to the investors, obviously the technology, find partners within the technology that make you competitive um, and, and also the ship designs and, and make you certain that you have the most efficient ships. So, so it's sustainable business model is do you want to be part of the future and do you want to be competitive in the future? So it's really how you run your company in a way for the future. So, so Christian, I got to challenge you a little bit here. You say your response is to, we have to do everything, but Maybe if you're Equinor and the price of oil is high, you can maybe do a lot of things. But is that practical for a shipping company that's a little bit smaller, dealing with a lot of, a lot of competition? If you want to be part of the future, you need to, you need to invest. And you, 
and, and talking about investment is how you develop an organization, how you develop the talents, how you handle your, all your stakeholders. So we all do it differently on different levels. But unless you take that, that charge, how can you define yourself as having a sustainable business model? Mark, how about you? Sustainability, what does it mean to Columbia Ship Management? Thank you, thank you, Ali, and uh, thank you for having me on this uh, esteemed panel. Uh, I think um, we have to take a step back, and I totally agree with uh, Kristen here. Um, ESG is so much bigger than sustainability, and I think as an industry, we are uh, incredibly adept at taking a big idea like ESG, putting it, pouring it down a funnel with a very narrow neck and spitting out a concept that is only part uh, of the entire picture. And if you go to the boardrooms and some of the boards that I'm sure Kristen is sitting on, uh, they're not talking about sustainability per se, they're talking about ESG. ESG is massive, ESG is a massive opportunity of which sustainability is a very important part. But sustainability is much, much more, or ESG is much, much more than sustainability. Sustainability is much, much more than decarbonization. And, and I think, uh, you know, we've got to, uh, as an industry, lift up our eyes and look over the proverbial parapet and, and at the wider landscape. It, it's quite telling, isn't it, that a few months ago, the automotive industry, or certainly key parts of it in Germany, uh, decided to go against the EU ban on petrol and diesel engines. Why did they do that? That didn't even cause a, a, a ripple in the shipping industry because we were so committed to sustainability, which equals decarbonization, which equals defossil fuels. Does it? Uh, the car industry, far bigger lobbying group than, dare I say it, the shipping industry, has behind the scenes decided to opt out of the ban of petrol and diesel engines. That hasn't even caused a flicker amongst the boardrooms of all these great shipping companies that we're sitting amongst now. It has to because the petrol and diesel, the combustion engine will be part of the mix going forward, probably the, the biggest part. And it's these sort of issues that I, I think we need to uh, be aware of and focus on as part of this ESG, uh, as part of this ESG debate. Is it, a, is it a great debate? Certainly from, from, from our perspective, uh, Columbia, the Columbia Group, ESG is a fantastic uh, concept and a, a, a fantastic philosophy, particularly after COVID, where we needed a flag to rally around. It's so relevant for bringing in business, for motivating workforce, for attracting talent. Arguably, you can't do any of those things without a credible, and I mean a credible, ESG strategy within your organization. So again, agreeing with Kristen, doesn't matter how big or small you are as an organization, this is not a tick box exercise. It's not, you know, you have to tick all pillars of uh, sustainability to succeed. Ask your people what they want, what they want to prioritize, and then throw your weight behind it, and you will reap the rewards uh, uh, accordingly. Sean, sustainability at, at uh, Dorian. What, what, uh, tell, me, tell us, what does it mean to Dorian and, and what are the kind of trade-offs that you see in, in achieving these goals? Um, thank you, Arlene. Uh, great to be with everybody here. Uh, I, I believe that the whole shipping world knows about what was coming. And I, it was evident 10 years ago seven years ago, eight years ago, 
Um, we knew that we had to be a lot more careful about the environment, uh, and we knew that we had to be socially responsible. And it's a great ex example that you brought up, Mark, about the car industry. Uh, the car industry re realized very late that they can't do anything else but keep the old um, ICE engines going. Uh, and they had not, no, no other way because there's no technological advances. Uh, the same thing is happening in shipping. There are really no technological advances. When we built our ships, we tried to do everything we could at that time. What we managed to do was just scrubbers. There was no LPG engines, there was no dual fuels, there's nothing. Uh, uh, we tried to put as much as improvements as we could in 2015. Uh, and, you know, the improvement, and, and I mean, you know, we did scrubbers because that was the, 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 the most available kind of technology we could find then. And we, we believed in, in, in trying to improve the environmental footprint of the fleet. And we did it. I mean, we did that. Uh, and, and, of course, now we're doing everything that everybody else uh, in the shipping world is doing. Technological uh, performance improvements, operational improvements, that we can improve our signature, our emission signature, as, as, as best as we can. But the technology is going ahead, and we have to consider all these opportunities that we have. And then we have to train our crews. How the hell are the crews going to be able to cope with all these technology? They're going to be left behind. And we're going to have a huge gap between technology and the crew. So we believe that crew is the most important human factor, the human element that we need to focus on. Uh, we need to train them. We need to give them the chance to understand what we expect from them and what, uh, what is the, the, the importance of being responsible environmentally, uh, DI, you know, social is what Kristen mentioned. Uh, and of course, the governance for our company, of course, is very important as well. So these are all the items that I have that are spinning in my head this, this morning. But, but John, what I just heard from you, I think the lens of sustainability for you focuses on the training the crew and making sure you've got an organization that's prepared and ready to adopt the new fuels and the new technologies. That's right. That's right. And also, you know, the technological and operational improvements that we're doing every day, implementing new, new systems, uh, you know, having data, uh, telling them how to operate the ships, how to trim the ships, how, um, you know, they need to, to deal with new uh, uh, energy-saving devices that we have installed. You know, there's so many things, Arlie, that we have to consider every day uh, on operating ships. And uh, we, we, we kind of operate in-house everything, uh, uh, technically and commercially, so we, we are really fully committed to this. But it, it is something that has been evolving for years now, and that's, that's my key point to, to this. We have seen it. We knew there was coming. Constantine, let me get your uh, impression. For M MPC, how do you see sustainability and how do you manage the trade-offs between acting now and, and keeping your options open for the future? Well, I guess we, we have already heard a few, a few aspects here. I'll try to give it a slightly different perspective um, from our side. I think sustainability also means to, to act uh, economically sustainable uh, if you just look at your very own company, right? I mean, we all have, have goals and we need goals. We need to have ambitious targets when it comes to, to emissions and, and also the S and the G. 
We have, uh, similar to what John said, we have placed last year a big emphasis on, on the S part, on the crew. Did a big crew survey because we, we also believe the crew is at this stage in the whole energy transition one of the key parameters uh, that you should focus on. So we have uh, identified a lot of things, a lot of stress that the crew is, is exposed to, have invested in, in new recreation rooms on board of the ships, have invested in, in also crew training. Um, we believe that is a, a very key aspect. Obviously the E is the overarching and, and, and most prominent one that people focus on and I think it's, the, it's a big challenge for the industry. Uh, and there we have taken small steps and I think uh, as, a, as a rather you know, ship owner, um, organization, you need to make sure that you take sustainable steps also when it comes to your own capacities and your own balance sheet. And that is very important. We have invested, done small investments in, in fuel startups. We have um, also ordered our first uh, dual fuel methanol vessels in close cooperation with our customers. I think that is important and a very important theme when it comes to how do you behave and treat your ESG strategy is is the collaboration and the interaction with your customers because no one will solve the, uh, all, all the challenges on, on their own. And I think that is very important. And I must say over the last three, four years, the degree of collaboration and the exchange with our customers has, has had way more layers than it had in the past. And I think that is a very positive development um, and interaction, very different also communication with our customers is, is in the core of how we define our ESG strategy going forward, uh, but also to get some financial exposure. You, you only, in my view, you're only able to develop and step up the learning curve if you get some exposure yourself. And exposure means you need to invest in people, you need to invest in technology, um, and uh, you need to take it step by step. That's the way we, we tackle it. Constantine, I'm going to keep you in the hot seat over there. Uh, we had Lasso sitting over uh, there in the previous panel. He's going to fire all his customers who don't uh, pay up for decarbonization. Are you having that kind of discussion with your customers? Well, who pays the bill or what's the question? Um, is that your question? Yeah. Well, in the end, I mean, it, it, I think it, it, it depends on the constellation, right? I mean, if you, if you don't get exposure and don't take any risk, you, you will not move forward, that's, that's my view. You need to take a risk that you can digest um, from a, both a balance sheet standpoint and also a strategic and, and also execution capability standpoint. That's why we started rather small with two small new builds. We will take it step by step. Um, and I think it's not necessarily around who pays the bill. It's around finding common ground, maybe even a joint way forward. As I said, uh, our new building project involved the cargo side, which is very unusual in container shipping. Uh, charterer and an owner uh, and you know sitting down finding win-win situations where you at least share risk and in a digestible form I think that's the way at least we want to move that forward um, so not necessarily having someone else always pay the bill but be be very cautious about the risk that you take and uh, move ahead from that basis finding the win-win is, is of course the key for the industry uh, that's where we got to have the charters uh, stepping up with the uh, with the owners. Christos, let me get your perspective on sustainability. Uh, DNB is a, a leader uh, in sustainability. How do you see the priorities for the shipping industry and how, do, how are your clients making the trade-offs between, as I say, investing now and maybe paying out dividends now? Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, being a banker used to be very easy. You lent money out and as long as you did not get carried away at the top of the cycle, you were okay on average. Things are very different now. Uh, with sustainability, with energy transition, 
uh, we are going through a huge disruption in the industry. There are going to be big losers and there are going to be big winners there and it could be some people that end up becoming extinct as well. So as a bank now, it's very difficult to figure out what is the role that we should play. How do we select our clients? Who do we keep? Who do we back? What is the life of a conventional ship? So questions that we could answer very easily before are not so straightforward now. So it's much more complicated. Um, we have taken a very uh, clear position within DNB. We have set very ambitious targets when it comes to reduction in emissions, when it comes to sustainability targets. You know, we want to reduce emissions in our portfolio by a third by 2030. That is seven years away down to zero by 2050, which is where the whole industry is going. How we actually get there, that is a topic of debate. Uh, but we are very committed to get there. But the biggest challenge for us is which are the clients that we're partnering with? Do we, are we aligned in terms of goals you know, with them? Are they doing enough to meet the ambitions and the targets that we have set? And inevitably, the ones who are not following the same journey as uh, we are, we will have to uh, look to exit or part our ways. So I, I think what I'm hearing is that the, the bank or your bank has evolved from uh, kind of supporting what the, the ship owner decides to do, following the ship owner, to engaging more actively with your clients to, to provide input to investment decisions. Did I, did I hear that right? Uh, not providing input in their investment decisions, but understanding what they're doing. If we agree with what they do, if it makes sense, you know, we back. We back them, and we have a very big cross-section across clients, across countries, so we can form a very uh, good view. But we are not going to be the ones telling clients, put this engine or don't put that engine. We'll follow what you know, they're doing. If it seems to make sense, you know, we will back them. But we are not going to be the ones dictating which path they need to take. Thank you. I, I'm going to throw a question here that we didn't have a chance to rehearse, and, and uh, so forgive me. But I, I come from the States. And so one of the things I know very well uh, is that the Biden administration has committed to decarbonization in a huge way. And for the Biden administration and for the Inflation Reduction Act and for the United States, what that means for this audience, I should say, is ports and terminals. There's a vast amount of money that's going to be flowing into ports and terminals in the United States to support decarbonization, to electrify, et cetera, et cetera. I'll just go very quickly through the panel. What kind of discussions are you having with ports and terminals to bring them into the decarbonization discussion? Mark, I'll start with you. Well, again, what does decarbonization mean? Does that mean that we're, we should all be looking at alternative fuels? Um, again, coming back to the car industry, the car industry sees cut decarbonization as very, very different. Yes, alternative fuels are, are one option, but taking carbon out in the same way as we took lead out of fuel uh, not so many moons ago, if it is possible to take carbon out of fossil fuels, and those fossil fuels can still be burnt by the very same engines that we've got on board our vessels, uh, why isn't that a, a serious consideration that we're, we should be having? Why aren't we sitting down as an industry, rather than being so insular and focusing almost wholly on alternative fuels as the uh, the solution. Why aren't we sitting down with other big industries and saying, why can't we work together? Because those very same industry, the car industries, are the biggest shareholders in the engine manufacturers, uh, the engine manufacturers on board our vessels. And it's wholly possible, wholly feasible, I am led to believe, discussing with those industries to produce an engine um, which can burn 
uh, fossil fuel that is being decarbonized. Go figure. That's probably a whole lot cheaper than all of the investment and all of the um, uh, brain scratching that's going on in relation to alternative fuels. So maybe the refineries will be producing decarbonized fossil fuels in the future and supplying our combustion engines with those. So we are having, we are having discussions. We, we, within the Columbia Group, have taken on a director to look solely at uh, energy transformation of the future. We're talking to the engine manufacturers, we're talking to the refineries, and this is perfectly possible, this is perfectly feasible. And, and uh, we're, we're, if we invested just a part of the huge amount uh, that would need to be invested in alternative fuels now, we would get to a solution which may just answer the questions that we had earlier on, that this is not for all of the regions of the world. Uh, this, you know, we, we don't want to isolate ourselves solely as, as the EU on this alternative fuel um, uh, sustainability, uh, alternative fuel being the only answer to sustainability. It is remarkable the difference between what's going on in the U.S. and here in, in Europe uh, with regard to uh, sustainability, decarbonization. But John, let me get your impression. Are you talking to uh, ports, terminals, as, as, a, as part of that discussion about uh, getting to sustainability? Not yet, because the IRA would just happened. Uh, the, di the main difference, as you know, uh, Arlie, but I don't know if the rest of the people know, is that the um, Inflation Reduction Act is actually a subsidy for ports. Right. Uh, uh, it's not a tax like it is in the EU. Great so point. it's a huge difference between the one and the other. Uh, I think it will accelerate improvements in the ports and the infrastructure. Um, and what would it mean for us, uh, uh, poor ship owners, is it going to mean that we are going to need to be able to plug in and get shore power? It would mean that we may be able to uh, deliver or debunker our CO2 uh, and being able to um, clean up um, our, our ships from the CO2 that we're going to be able to capture and debunker it at these ports. Um, and we're going to be able to get um, um, alternative fuels. Uh, these are the three things that I can think of immediately um, as potentially uh, uh, likely mm -hmm. in, in, in this environment with the new Inflation Reduction Act, which kind of gives these, su these huge subsidies for every ton of CO2 that is saved. Uh, I mean, we, we're talking about $80 a ton or maybe more. Uh, so this is uh, a significant difference to what we see here in Europe, which is a tax. Absolutely, a huge difference and a huge range of incentives. Uh, uh, you know, I realize our, our, our time is moving on, and I have had the, uh, the pleasure of reading sustainability reports from all of your entities. And so I, I have a few questions having read those. And uh, Constantine, I'm going to start with yours, because you had a, a great phrase uh, in, in your uh, report, uh, most recent report. We see transparent ESG reporting and stakeholder engagement as integral parts of driving positive outcomes. I haven't seen many shipping companies make a strong, positive statement about transparency. How have you made it a success? Well, it's obviously a, a, a sentence that you need to let sink first, um, and it can mean a lot. Um, of, of course, I mean, the way we have approached it from the outset in our company is, is rather young, um, to be transparent as of day one. And that is not just on ESG, it's on financial information, it's, it's on a lot of things so that, you know, all our stakeholders know what, know what we do and know how we do it and uh, that we will continue on that path. And the same is, is, is right for ESG. I think 
engagement is a key um, is a key word, and I alluded to a few um, examples uh, when I talked earlier. Um, I think key is also that as a ship owner, you need to you know widen your network. You need to actually actually establish new lines of communication to the community, and I think this is very key. Um, I made that example of uh, of our new building project where we engage with many many you know of our stakeholders. Uh, likewise is, for example, for someone like us to, to be involved in all kinds of initiatives, the Merce McKinney Center of Zero Carbon Shipping. We are not just a, a member on paper, we have really seconded people there. Um, we are part of the Silk Alliance. I mean, to, to really engage with people in order to get a better outcome. And that is not just, you know, on paper, that is also financially. I think a lot of the projects that we have executed over the last uh, years, including energy efficiency upgrades on our vessels, etc., have been accelerated by the exchange um, with many other people in the industry. And I think transparency is a key element, engagement is another one, and that's basically what that sentence sums up. Christian, we hear from Constantine that he has found that broadening his network, that having more discussion across a broader range of, of stakeholders has been important. You've seen an extraordinary range of, of stakeholders in, uh, in your role as director of multiple companies. How has that dialogue worked out for you? Or ha how have you seen the value of, of that dialogue across the different stakeholders? I think it's very valuable to be able to see this from the inside from several companies because they all operate in a way different because they're in different segments, they're in different part of the world. Um, and they're listed, non-listed, etc. So. We all operate differently, but to be involved in the decision making on this uh, on this issue is obviously important. Um, and back to some of the questions that came from the previous panel was the short and long term. I would say maybe, and, and that's a dilemma for the return and being long term. Uh, and for some of the private companies, we might have a longer line in our review when it comes to where we want to go because we are not so uh, focused on the next quarter results and, that, uh, and how the analysts see that. So I think it's, um, you, can, you can, and then you can transport or take with you the knowledge you have from one company to another as to how they develop their the targets, how they measure the targets, how they, for example, put it as part of their remuneration. Because if you, you can have targets, which is nice to have, but if you really, what's the consequence for the organization, for the team, etc. So to be transparent and open on how we can both measure and where we want to go. So I think it's, it's the realism in going from the greenwashing to the reality for the company and what we want to, how we want to perform what, and why we do that. I think what is something that I see in the um, uh, core of if you want to align the company, align the company with the clients and, and get in that direction where you want to go. Mark, your report was very specific. You listed uh, you had uh, 37 people across your company from the board level down engaged in sustainability activities. Uh, Christian wonders if you're paying them, if, if their performance, uh, should be if their compensation is somehow linked to their sustainability performance. Well, they so probably say, they probably say they, they aren't being paid enough. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I think ESG, 
I'm a massive, massive fan of the whole uh, ESG drive. And as I said at the beginning, it's so much bigger than sustainability. If you get complete organizational buy-in, there is literally no limit to what the organization can do if it, is, if it has bought into uh, uh, the ESG. And, and it, it really can transform and metamorphosize, if there's such a word, an organization. You know, from the seafarer on board uh, the vessel who actually uh, is given all of the relevant information, and, and they are. They're very proud of our sustainability report and our ESG strategy. So that's why they don't breach MARPOL. They actually understand finally why. This is not a regulation in English, in very complicated legal jargon, which they have to understand. They get it. They want to get it. It's, it's, in, it's in layman's terms. Uh, it ties in with the whole, you know, in, in Colombia we have this I care philosophy. ESG ties in with that. It suddenly brings meaning to that. I went to Oxford University uh, recently to, on a recruitment campaign because I wanted to get in there first and get these bright young things before they all went to the merchant banks and the big uh, uh, finance banks. And, and we put on this fantastic presentation uh, to the students of all the, the services on the Columbia platform. And it was blank faces until we came to our sustainability strategy, until we talked about what we were doing for the victims of the war in Ukraine, et cetera, until we told them what we were uh, doing as far as uh, renewables and uh, uh, alternative fuels. And then the debate really took off. And we had five sign-ups that, that, that would ordinarily have gone to the merchant banks, but are now coming to us. All they wanted to talk about, all they were interested in, was sustainability. It's fantastic what you can do with this for all the right reasons. So um, if, if I say in, in, in our sustainability report we have 37 people, actually uh, we have about 17,000. And that's the entire workforce of the Columbia Group, all 100%, 150% bought into ESG. And the next report that's coming out in a month's time is even more exciting and dynamic than the last one because everybody has been an author of that. Everyone has contributed to that. And we, we damn well make sure everyone does so we get that buy-in. Mark, I've got to tell you that I, I, in our experience at Marsoft, recruiting and, and finding how people want to, where, where they want to be in five or ten years. If we weren't talking about sustainability, decarbonization, we wouldn't have access to the, to the pool of people that we need to have. And they come with energy and excitement and a different perspective than, than traditional shipping. Christos, we heard earlier from Lassa. Uh, Lassa, thank you so much for all the, your, your quotable moments, uh, by the way. We heard earlier about the role of the carbon markets. Uh, and it seems to me that you're creating a carbon market with the Poseidon principles. And, and of course, Kristen, you, you were part of there at the, at the moment of creation of the Poseidon principles. Tell me, are the Poseidon principles rewarding behavior that you've seen, or are they a way of actually influencing behavior? How are your customers changing as a result of the Poseidon principles? No, first of all, the Poseidon Principles was a fantastic initiative. It enabled us to put a carbon, it enabled us to be able to measure the carbon intensity on our books. That was a fantastic tool because once you can measure, then you can start setting targets. It has definitely changed the mindset in the bank. So that has made a very, very big difference. And that has also filtered down you know, to our clients. Having a such a big body with a majority of the you know, big banks you know, together, uh, pulling in the same direction, I think has made a very, very big difference. The challenge for the Poseidon principles is to remain ambitious, but also to be realistic. 
because it's one thing setting targets, but it's another thing ensuring that you know, there is a way and there is a path to meet them. Now, when it comes to the discussions with clients, everybody wants to hear that if I do an environmentally friendly project, if I invest in a new engine, you, know, you can have the margin. That's not the case. Uh, what happens is you can access funds easier, you can stay in the bank's books if you're doing the right type of investments, but it does not mean that if you invest in an ammonia engine, your margin is going to be a fraction of what it was before. What it means is that if you're not making the right decisions, if you're not um, going towards decarbonizing your business, you will find yourself not being able to access capital going forward. So it has to be more with availability rather than getting a favorable price. So, Christos, uh, as, as you know, Marsoft is, is closely engaged in the ship finance business, and, and we observe that there's been a, a growth in the non-bank uh, debt providers or capital providers, few of them, who have, not all of whom have signed up for the Poseidon principles. So you've got competition out there. Are they, uh, do, do you find that you're able to compete and, and maintain the standards with you, the Poseidon you, principles? You have a lot of competition. You also have a number of Asian banks that are not signatories to the Poseidon principles. But, you know, you heard from this panel before, it's not something that you do to tick the box. It's something that you do because your workforce demands it, your new employees demand it, your family demands it, your children demand it. So you have to do what you perceive to be the right thing. Yeah, sure, you can get things cheaper, you can cut corners, you can do things in a different way, but this, is this what is the identity you want to have as an institution? And is this the identity you want to have as a shipping company? Yes, you're there to make money, but that's not the only objective that you, know, you, your workforce, your stakeholders are expecting from you. So yes, there is competition, but different people offer different things, and you know, there is a pluses and minuses everywhere. Chris, we can't leave Poseidon Principles without giving you the chance to, to talk, discuss. <laughs> Chris has had a very good, uh, good uh, explanation on, on the value of the Poseidon Principles, and I think it is actually an example of what also Lasse talked about in the previous panel, initiatives which shows the direction because somebody has to stand out. And, and I'm also fortunate to work in, in, in boards, in companies which really stand out and do have investments and take it seriously from in many areas in order to make certain we can, we can, we can go as a, a leader into, the, um, into the, the reduction of emissions. But Poseidon principle, when that came in, it was to show where you want to go. Mm. It was not about the model. It was not about a single ship. It was to show this is where the capital market is going, and we were in cooperation with the industry. And we didn't know exactly where to go, how to go there. But we said, we want to go there. So I think that just showed that it's, it's possible to, to show a direction and to take that lead. And that is what's so important, that this uh, industry takes a lead and do the investments and have to think long term. John, one of the ways you've taken leadership at, at Dorian is, is a large, large vessels, modern, efficient fleet. Uh, I should have a very efficient fleet. How do you, what are you going to do next to keep up that leadership? As I said before, technology is moving very fast. And uh, we're going to have to consider uh, all possible solutions for, for the vessels. Uh, we're doing what everybody else is doing in technological operational efficiency. Uh, I think uh, dual fuel engines are doing their um, transitory, um, you know, uh, help into uh, 
being able to improve our emissions profile. Uh, I believe that sooner rather than later we could do carbon capture because that's a visible solution that is able to be done now, um, in a few years at least. At least. Uh, we want to have our fleet able to trade um, easily until the 2030s, early 2030s, because it's a, it's a younger fleet. Uh, but I think that uh, carbon capture is going to be a way to um, enable our fleet to live until its you know, due date, um, until um, not only new fuels, but new engines can come about. Uh, I, I think you know, somebody mentioned nuclear. Uh, somebody maybe didn't mention hydrogen engines. Uh, you know, or an ammonia kind of derivative engine. And I do agree that the ammonia engine has problems. Uh, not, not as much as, you know, as an, as an idea, but it, it has problems in delivering a workable engine for the crew and for the safety of our crews and that, you know, we could, we could have the green ammonia. I think Ammonia as such is going to be a, a great way to transport hydrogen or to use hydrogen, which is the cleanest way to, to go forward. So that's where I see we're going in the next uh, 20 years. Uh, but for the, for the first uh, transitory period, I think we, we need to have other solutions. That's my thinking. Carbon capture has uh, attracted the attention of, of everyone that's burning oil, uh, hasn't it? it? Just is what you need to do in order to keep uh, burning oil. Is, is, are we just kind of, is that wishful thinking? Well, I think the car industry has done it as well. I, in a way, the car industry has done, improved emissions significantly, not just CO2, but they have reduced emissions to almost zero in everything else. Uh, so I, I, I think that ships can do the same. They can reduce, you know, easily 50%, uh, 70% of their carbon uh, output with the existing technology of carbon capture, from what I see. Uh, and I think that uh, it's, a, it's a viable transitional way to, to, to see ourselves cleaning our, um, our, our profile, our emissions profile, and achieving targets that are very difficult to achieve post-2030. Very good. Thank you very much. Nicholas Knut, again, thank you so much for providing a great opportunity for this kind of dialogue. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all the panelists for, for sharing your insights today. It's much appreciated. Thank you.